Exodus chapter 13. Good. I wanted you to know who you were sitting by and who you were praying alongside. Um, it's a very, very important thing. Glad that you're here with us tonight. Uh, thank you, Chase, for leading us through that and for Cody and Sarah. And uh, We'll be in Exodus 13 for a little bit in the next few minutes. Um, as Chase indicated uh, through his prayer, we are praying toward a name change. Um, some people have asked if last weekend was the name change moment. It was not. Uh, you'll, we'll keep you up to speed on that. There are just certain things that we need to get in place until then. Um, but sometime, sometime this spring, we will officially stop being the Ring Community Church and start being Living Hope Fellowship. And that is being driven by a desire to, for everything, all the way down to our name, to communicate something about who we are and what we're here to do uh, to the city and those around us. And that really has come out of last year's 30 Days of Prayer. Uh, it's one of the changes that we felt like God was leading us to make. And, um, and so that's coming up in a couple weeks, and that's going to be awesome. And um, last weekend we had a reunion because this church goes back to uh, a college ministry that exists from 1998 to 2006 at Parkview. And then we planted as a church in 06, and so we're making our 10-year birthday, and so last weekend was a reunion, and um, I know a lot of you were there, and I know a lot of you did something to make the weekend happen. Uh, tons of sacrifice, tons of work, tons of uh, good times were had, I think. Um, I know that some of you were like, I don't know who any of these people are, and some of you, it was literally a reunion, a reuniting of people you hadn't seen in forever, and hopefully God was glorified by us uh, telling his story of what he's done uh, in the life of the ring over all these years. And, and hopefully we were all encouraged and challenged about um, where we come from and what's ahead. And tonight I want to just kind of extend last, week, last weekend into tonight uh, because I feel like, you know, now it's, now it's just us a little bit. You know, last weekend we had a lot of people who used to be a part of things who came back to see where their prayers had landed and now... Now, you know, we're, we're here, we're the, we're the church folks, um, we're the, the ring community church that came from the college ministry, and, and we're going forward. So a lot of people came in, and they saw everything, and they heard everything, and it was great, and they got in their cars, and they drove somewhere else. You know, they went back home, they got on a plane and went back, they did other things, and now we're here, back at Grace, in it, praying this new name into existence and I believe that, that God ha did a lot of things last weekend that maybe we aren't all aware of fully yet. You know, I think that, that he renewed some things. I think that he stirred up some stuff that needed to be stirred up. And I think that there's still some processing of things that are going on. There are a couple of things that those four pastors prayed over us at the end that I'm still like chewing on and can't get rid of. And so there's a lot of good things. But this week, I really feel like God kind of gave me a word for where we are right now, um, and, uh, but a word for, like, for this night especially. Um, and sometimes when people say that, you know, um, I remember the first time that someone was like, hey, I got a word for you, you know. I was like, oh, okay. 
And then like this girl talked for like nine minutes, and I was like, that's, that's a lot of words that you have for me. I couldn't really, I couldn't really contain all of it, you know. And, and I was, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist kid. She didn't mean a word. She meant like a message. I was like, okay, that's cool. And then she said all these things, and, and that's happened to me several times over the years. And someone said, I got a word for you, and it's some sort of message, some sort of something. And almost zero times did it make sense in that moment. Um, and there are still some of them that I still don't understand what they are, you know. But God kind of does that. Uh, he, he will sometimes give someone a, a, a message, a vision. A, a, sometimes it is a single word. Sometimes it's a scripture. He does that and gives it to us to, to encourage one another, to challenge one another. And I really believe that, that he has a word for us tonight, a message for us tonight that extends from last weekend that we need to pay attention to. And it's kind of a word of caution, but it's also a word of hope. And so I hope that we kind of get whatever he wants us to get, to get out of this uh, together. Now here's where it comes from. Um, so a statement that, that I made quite often um, in telling the story of where we have come from goes back to the first 30 days of prayer meeting where we basically got together um, after a month of praying uh, separately, we got together to see how united we, f- we felt God had spoken to us, um, like with what kind of unification he spoke about planting a church one day. And so we came out of that meeting, and there were a couple of bullet points that we walked away with. And one of them was that God was telling us not to get so focused on the future that we ignored the present. That as a bunch of like young people... We were very excited about the fact that he said, this college ministry, I'm going to morph it into a church plant. And we, that just pumped us up. But he said, but it's not going to be now. It's really not going to be very soon. And so I don't want you to get so focused on that down the road that you ignore the fact that I'm going to bring literally hundreds of people through your doors in those eight years. We didn't know it was eight years, but God knew it was eight years. And God knew that if we got focused on what was ahead, we were going to miss so many opportunities to care for people and to love people, to make mistakes and to learn from them, to learn what ministry is about and to learn to trust Him and to learn all these kinds of things. He knew we needed eight years of learning. We didn't know that. And so He gave us a word, said, don't get so focused on the church plant that you ignore the college ministry. Don't get so focused on the future that you ignore the present. I think that the word for us tonight and where we are now is kind of, kind of the inverse of that. It's to not get so focused on the present that we lose sight of the future. To not get so caught up in today, right now, the grind of life, of church stuff, of um, what we're doing right now, that we forget that there are some things ahead of us but it's so easy to do. It's so easy to, to get that backwards a little bit. You know, you just put your head down and you get your schedule for the week together and you're like, I'm just going to get it done. And you put that week next to another week where it's the same way and you put a bunch of those back to back to back and then the semester's over with and you do that through the summer and then through the fall and then through the spring. We just kind of go through this like, cycle of just being so immersed in right now it's easy to forget that there's something ahead of us. And so I believe that God wants us to not miss it um, so badly that, uh, I don't know, 
he's bringing this tonight. So look, look at Exodus 13. This is a story I have preached on, I've referenced so many times. This has been like one of those like frequently used tools in the toolbox when you're counseling with people and discipleship opportunities. Uh, you guys have maybe heard me talk about it before, but I want to just spend a few minutes on it because I think it's representative of exactly what God is saying to us. Look in Exodus 13. Um, we're going to start in verse 17. So they've come, they've come out of Egypt. Um, Israelites were enslaved there uh, for 400 years, and they were um, working for Pharaoh and all that kind of stuff. And so the Moses comes and says, let my people go, and he does that ten times, and there's ten plagues, and there's all this stuff that goes on, and they, Pharaoh, he finally lets them go. And so now they're running away from Egypt, and they're running toward this promised land, you know, and uh, there's this really great statement, and I never, I never caught this before. Um, there's a guy named John Ortberg who wrote a book called The Life You've Always Wanted, and if you're looking for a book to read, it should be up there on everyone's shelf. And he, he was the first person I ever like heard talk about this this little nugget here in the in the story, and it, it was a game changer. Verse 17 says, "When Pharaoh let the people go." God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of, of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Okay, so um, they're, they're traveling, God's leading them, and they're following this giant pillar of fire or a big old cloud. And that's how he's guiding them where he wants them to go. But if you look back in 17 and 18, look at 17, it says, When God let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. And in verse 18, it says, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Now, if you were to look at this on a map, um, this would make a lot of sense. But let me just tell you in a way that makes per- probably perfect sense to you. The shortest distance from Egypt to the Promised Land is a straight shot, right? Like as the crow flies. And they could have gone that way. But the problem is, it says that the Philistines were in that territory and they would have had to fight them. They would have come up against them and, made, and there would have been war and there would have been, you know, whatever. And God says something bril- just, it's just so brilliant. He says in verse 17, it says that he didn't take them that way, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God knew his people so well. He says, you know what, he, here's, here's a million people who only know slavery. If I march them through the Philistine territory, those people are warriors, and it is going to be certain destruction. 
Now, God knows that he can do whatever he wants. There are all these examples in the Bible of these amazing things happening in battle. And so God knows that the Philistines are no challenge to the Israelites if God wants, you know, he can do whatever he wants. God knows that, but that verse tells us that the people don't know that. And God knows that they don't know that. It says they're going to see war, they're going to freak out, and they're going to turn around and run back to Egypt. So God says, rather than march them into a destructive situation where there's going to be all that fear and panic and they're going to run back, he took them the long way. Instead of the straight shot, he took them a long way. And he did it on purpose. So he takes them the long way, and he takes them through a route where they don't have, they don't have access to water. They don't have access to food. And they kind of don't know where they're going. They're in the wilderness. They're not marching down pathways that have been cut and people have traveled. They're going through a wilderness, and there's a million of them. And they don't have any water, and they don't have any food, and they don't really know where they're going. And there's one guy in charge of a million people. And so God leads them what one translation calls the roundabout way. So he led them the roundabout way. And he did that not to mess with them, you know. He did that to train them, to teach them. So let's say that, and I don't think that faith works this way, but just humor me for a second. Let's say that in order for them to, to go right into Philistine territory, it was going to take a level 10 faith. All right, let's say that that's what it took. And God was like, their faith is like a two. You can't march a level two faith army into the Philistines. So God says, so I'm going to bring them this way, and I'm going to bring them from a two to a ten. And the way I'm going to do it is I'm going to bring them where there's no water, and I'm going to provide water, like literally out of rocks, so that they will learn to trust me, and that faith will go up a little bit. I'm going to bring them where there's no food, and then I'm going to make this stuff called manna, that when they wake up in the morning, this like crusty stuff on the ground, they can like pick it up and eat it. And it don't, it's not going to taste great, but it's going to supply all of your needs. And every day that's going to be there. And to give them leadership, of course God's speaking through Moses, but it's a million people. So I'm going to put something, this giant obvious marker in front of them. They're, we're just going to keep following that giant thing of fire that should not be there. We're going to keep following that. And when the, when the fire stopped, the people stopped and they rested. God says, I'm going to bring them where there is no water, I'm going to provide water. Faith goes up. Where there is no food, I'll provide food. Faith goes up. Where there is no direction, I'm going to provide direction. The faith goes up. The plan was to, build, to bring their faith and trust and belief that God is in control, that God is doing something with them, that they are not lost that all is not, like they didn't make the greatest mistake in the history of the world. Everything is going to be fine to build them up to that. And then you know what he was going to do? March them right through the Philistines. Knowing then that they would trust him enough to go in, step into battle, and then he would still do his thing. That's the point. That was the goal. It sounds really, really great. And on the other side of this journey through the wilderness, they would be ready. But most of them were dead. Most of them died. Because they were short-sighted and self-centered. And they refused to listen to God. They refused to listen to Moses as their leader. They refused to see that something bigger was going on. And they got hung up on 
how tired they were, even though their sandals never wore out. They complained about the manna, even though this miraculous meal was waiting for them every morning. And they said, oh, it tastes terrible. They got dissatisfied with Moses. They got dissatisfied with God. They, they formed their own, you know, this like golden calf thing to worship. Moses comes down off the, off the mountain with these tablets that God had like written the Ten Commandments on with his own finger. And they're like, not good enough, man. Not good enough. And they're cursing him, and they're blaming him. And they're like, why would you bring us out here to die? At least in Egypt we had enough food. At least in Egypt the food was good, you know. And they missed it. And so they stayed that roundabout way a lot longer. To the point where, uh, except for the children, everyone eventually passed away. And they stayed in that desert, and they walked, and they walked, and they walked, until those, all the, the adults had died. And the kids grew up, and the kids were the ones that got to go in. Even Moses didn't get to go in. Joshua went in. And you know what? When they went in, their faith was on a ten. It was. But their parents and grandparents, they missed it. They were so, just like I said earlier, they were so focused on right now, that they missed the fact that God was doing something bigger. That there was something ahead of them that, was, that this day fit into. Something bigger was happening in their midst and they missed it. Because they were short-sighted and self-centered. And you know what? I, I, I kind of like have this list here of all these other places where we see similar things happening in the Bible. That God is not only doing something in the moment, that He is doing something ahead of, the, ahead of time. And actually, every single time in the Bible when we see this happening, He's always doing something now that's built on the past and that's preparing them for the future. Like it all ties together. Every time we see something happen, it's built on the past Preparing them for the future. He is in that whole thing. That's the story over and over and over again. Let me rattle you off a few examples. There's the roundabout way I just talked about. There's the, there's after they crossed the Jordan and they set up the stones. And the reason they set up the stones is because they said, because you know what? Our kids need to know this story. We can't just stand here on the other side of the Jordan and have this big party and be like, oh, wasn't that awesome? And then keep going. They're like, no. Generations need to know about what happened here. So they took the time to pile up 12 stones that shouldn't be there so that their kids would ask, why is that random pile of rocks there? And then they would get to tell the story. That's adults who are looking forward. They're not just in the moment. They're also in the future. It's both. Um, The Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it goes in, in Deuteronomy 6, and it talks about sharing this with your kids and telling, telling them this truth. And when they wake up in the morning, when they go to bed at night, and as you walk along the way, and you're constantly instilling this in your kids, because you have to be forward-thinking. It can't just be about you. It has to be about your kids. And so God built that into the DNA of Israel to the point where if you go to the, to the Wailing Wall right now, well, whatever time it is. Anyway, probably right now, there are faithful like Jewish men and, and their sons who are there praying at the wall, and they're teaching them how to do that because God built that in so that your kids grow up in the faith. It tells us in the book of Joshua that 
that the whole generation came along that didn't know the Lord or what he had done. Because there were short-sighted people as well who were just worried about now and they weren't worried about the future. Um, Abraham's family, when God says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make your, your family the, as numerous as the stars in the sky, the uh, grains of sand on the shore. Um, God is saying, and your, your family is going to bless the nations. And so Abraham can say, I don't care about everyone else. I just, we just want a child. God's like, no, I'm going to put those together. That you're going to have a child and the whole world is literally going to be blessed through your descendants. God's saying, he's in, in, a, in a roundabout way, he's saying, don't be obsessed with right now only. Be in the moment, but also be in the future. Um, David gathered up all the supplies for the temple, but Solomon, his son, is the one that built it. Now, some of that is because because God said, David, I'm not going to let you do that. You're not going to be the one to build it. So David just like crosses his arms and get mad and say, well, fine, then I just won't build one. David says, well, if I can't build it, then I'm at least going to gather all the supplies so that my son, that someone in my family, my lineage, has everything that they need to be able to build it. I don't, I don't know if I would have been that forward-thinking, but David was. Noah spent all that time building this big boat, this big boat because God told him to. God says, something is coming, and you need to, you need to get all this uh, gopher wood together and start building this giant boat, even though it hadn't really rained, you know, ever. <laughs> um, and he's like, okay, I'll do it. If that's what you want me to do, then I will do that. And people mock me, fine. I'm going to trust that something is coming down the road, and you're helping me get ready for it now. So in the moment and in the future, Joseph, he stored up grain at God's instruction because God said, look, a famine is going to come, and it's going to be a long way down the road, but you need to start storing up for it now so that there is a, a uh, survival for my people so that everyone doesn't die. And so Joseph stored up grain, and they became the supply place for the nations, all at his leadership, and his God was glorified, and he was reunited to his family. And it's an incredible story in the present and in the future. Uh, King Jehoshaphat, one of my favorite names in the world. I'm calling dibs on it, even though I never have kids. That's fine. I'm just still, I'm reserving it. You can't have it. Jehoshaphat, uh, they got word that there were three different armies coming to fight them. Like three different, like from three different directions. And uh, he was like, we have no idea what we're supposed to do. And God said, um, you got to show up. I'll fight the battle, but you got to show up. So he gathered the people and they prayed and they asked God for direction, and they said, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. And God said, just go, to, just go to the battle. And so in that moment, they believed, okay, God's calling us to do that, and so we're going to show up. And so in the moment, they walked forward into, by all worldly standards, would be certain death. And they get there, and everyone is dead. Like the three armies fought each other, killed each other, and they were just like, well, let's go collect all the stuff. And so they went through and collected all the stuff. Because it's not just about the moment. There's always something ahead. Um, and jump to the New Testament. Jesus tells us to store our treasures in heaven. That we're invested in kingdom things. That your treasures that are here on the earth, if that's your whole investment, then what happens when all those treasures get destroyed by life or time or thieves? In the now, invest in the future, in the eternal. That's where your treasures are to be stored. 
Jesus ascended so that the Spirit could come and dwell in us. He was forward thinking. That's part of the beauty of the Trinity is they kind of know what's coming. And so he goes up and, and everyone's like, where are you going? He's like, look, trust me, this is better. In the moment, I'm going to go, but in the, so that this can happen down the road. It was preparation. All the promises, all the covenants, uh, everything about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. This idea that there is something bigger that's happening. There's something greater that's going on. That Even John the Baptist... In the moment, people were wanting, they were giving him all this attention and all this praise. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's not what's happening right now. There's something bigger that's happening right now. That's just a quick list. There are many more in there. And there's something that we just need to to recognize that God is always doing. That he is always in it right now. And right now fits into what is next all the time. Building on the past, preparing for the future, but right now absolutely matters. There's something bigger going on, and whatever you're in right now fits into that somehow. Where we are as a church fits into what's next. Where you are as a person, your family, your friends, your work situation, your financial stuff, whatever you are, wherever you are right now has something to do with the future. It just does. We can't get so focused on now that we ignore the fact that there's something bigger happening. My brother Drew, uh, he, he, we've been talking about discipleship a lot in the last year, year and a half. And he talks about how, that there's, um, there's this guy he's been learning some stuff from who has kind of two different approaches to discipleship. He, he, he calls it that there's just-in-case discipleship and there's just-in-time discipleship. Just-in-time discipleship is when you sit down with someone and you're like, okay, what is going on in your life right now? What's happening with you? Where are you? Um, how are you really like? How are you really doing? That's just-in-time. That's in this moment. Then there's just-in-case discipleship, which is like, you know, at some point you're going to need to know, you're going to need to know the Trinity. You're going to know what, what that is. You're going to need to know what the kingdom of God is about. You're going to need to know how, how Jesus handles various situations because you're going to find yourself in one of those things. And really, both of those are so important. We need, some, we need people in our lives that are in the, in the now, but also that are, we need to be learning about things because we're going to encounter various things. So I think our community groups kind of do both of those. You have time where you're like, how are, are you and Jesus doing right now? Who is God sending you to love right now? And then there's a Bible study part of it where we go through, and that's something that's kind of just in case. Sometimes it clicks with right where you are, and sometimes it doesn't. But if God is like orchestrating everything, like we believe that He is, then it's always fitting in there. With God, both of those things are happening all the time. With us, you know, you kind of have like maybe like two different modes that you're in. From discipleship. Is, is it just in time or just in case? You know, that kind of stuff. But with God, it's, it's always both. He's always meeting you in time, right where you are, perfectly. And at the same time, whatever's going on there is getting you ready. Like, he, there's something that you need to know. So the just in case, you know, with air quotes, like, oh, one day I might need to know this. From God's perspective, he's like, no, you need to know this definitely. There's no might. You definitely need to know this. And so for the Israelites, back, jump back to Exodus with me. He took them the roundabout way and met them in time 
And because he knew there was no just in case, there's a definite case where they're going to need to know and trust him to get them ready. And you and I, uh, he, he deals the same way with us. That he's constantly meeting you in time to tend to you now and to use what you're going through to get you ready for something in front of you. If we are short-sighted and self-centered and are only in the now, we miss out on God's activity in our lives, and we start living in some, this like false reality. That if God is always doing both of those, if He's always in the moment and getting you ready for what's ahead, if you put blinders on to what's ahead and you only care about this moment and you act like this moment is ultimate then you are not living in a reality that is consistent with how God works. And, and I'm not living in a reality where it's consistent with God, how, how God works. And as a church, we are not living in that reality either. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to live in some weird reality where I pretend like the future has nothing to do with now. Where those things are disconnected. I, in fact, I have to believe that whatever I'm going through, like my soul development... My circumstances, my feelings, my, the things I'm learning, things I'm struggling with, put all those together. I have to know that that fits into the future somehow. Because if it does not, then what is the point of any of this? And I think God says, yeah, exactly. Exactly. He wants to meet us in the moment. Yes, absolutely. There's significance to that. And the hope that comes is knowing, hey, this is not going to be wasted ever. It will not be wasted. God doesn't do that. So I think that he's cautioning us against that kind of mindset that exists really all around us all the time. A a mindset that's just just looking at right now and refusing to to see anything ahead of us, any sort of greater thing happening, anything bigger, and just, just sitting in it. Complaining or... Ignoring God or ignoring other people, refusing to get into the scriptures or community or prayer. And, you know, you just kind of get immersed in the, in the muck a little bit. I think that God is just, he's cautioning us, but he's also breathing hope into those situations because um, it just isn't ever wasted. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it starts being fun instantly, you know. But man, to know that there's something bigger happening and it fits into it. And that God's with it. He's in it with you now, and that will continue. That means that we don't have to be like those Israelites who just like, wound up just dying in the desert because they just were dumb. <laughs> that we can, He can bring us that roundabout way, and He can boost our faith from a 2 to a 10 or whatever it is, and He can put us back on the pathway to march into war. That that doesn't have to take 40 years and a whole lot of death and pain. He's like, hey, let me bring you over here. Let me teach you this real quick. I'm going to put you back on track to where I was taking you. That he's always, he's always doing that and always doing that. Let me tell you four things that I think, um, four of the things, not four things, because there's a many things on the list. But let me just give you four that I think God just may jump out at me, right, just to kind of bring some closure to it. Because this fits into every area of life. This is not just a church vision, like, w- warning slash message of hope. Um, it has to do with your personal life, like your soul, has to do with your marriage, has to do with your family, has to do with work, has to do with your friendships, has to do with our church, has to do with our community groups, has to do with our mission in the city. All of this fits into it. In all of those areas of life, we cannot get so immersed in the present that we ignore the future. 
We have, to, we have to think of both of those things working together. And we bring in the past, bring in his faithfulness from the past, and you put all that together, and there's always something bigger happening. I'll tell you four things that I think we need to keep in mind as we're kind of processing this word, which I hope that we will all do um, together. There's, there's four of them. Uh, if you're a note taker, I'll just tell you what they are, and then you can decide how much space you need. Right? Uh, there's vision, there's sacrifice, there's obedience, and there's faithfulness. Vision, sacrifice, obedience, faithfulness. Now for vision, I can spend a lot of time on this, and I'm not going to, but I could. Let me just ask you rhetorically. Uh, do, you know, do you know where you're headed? You know? Like, I'm not talking about like heaven or hell. I'm talking about, I mean, that's important. But do you know where you're headed? Like, do you know who you are becoming like in your soul development, do you have a vision for your life? Do you have a vision for that? Like, can you articulate that? What your goal is? I was a I was a music education major in college and uh, taught. I was a high school band director at Central High uh, for like two years and um, two of the best years of my whole life. Right, and so in my schooling, when I was doing my undergrad. One of the things that, that our like, lead professor would have us do is he would say, okay, whenever you pick out like, a song that you want your orchestra, your band, or whoever to play, so you need to go and find a recording of professionals playing that song. And you need to like, memorize it. So you have to know what the best players on the planet when they get in there and they make this kind of music, you have to know what that is supposed to sound like. Which was so counterintuitive because most of us were dealing with like middle school and high school musicians who are a long way from the you know, New York Philharmonic, right? And so it seemed like you were just setting yourself up to just be disappointed every single day, you know? We said, no, it's, it's really not that. You have to know where you're, where you're trying to take them. Said if the starting point is that group of high school or junior high musicians in front of you, if that's the starting point, you're you're just going to kind of like like muddle your way through, and you're going to get you're just going to kind of settle basically. So, but if you know what it's supposed to sound like, then you as the teacher can lead them to that. You can work with them. Said they will be so much better with a leader who has vision. Then they will if the leader in front of them has no idea what he's doing and is just trying to wing it and just get through that class period till the bell rings. And he made us do that over and over and over again. And when I got to be a teacher, I just fell right into that discipline. And his phrase was, you have to start with the end in mind. Start with the end in mind, then you know where you're going. And so vision, for you, for your soul development, you've you got to know where, where you're going. You have to have a vision for your marriage, a vision for your family, a vision for your friendships, a vision for work, a vision for your finances, a vision for your disciplines. I mean, you have to know all these things. You have to know where you're going. Otherwise, where are you going, really? You're probably settling. Every biblical reference I, made, I brought up a second ago was because God had vision for his people. He was not, he's not random and he's not winging it. He knows exactly where, he, like where he's going. And we who are made in his image are called to fall in line with that. That Jesus as our rabbi, like that's where we're going. 
That's what's happening. That's who we're developing into. And so patterning your life, developing your soul, being Jesus to your spouse, leading your family, shaping your children, serving those around you, not being someone who just consumes, but you also produce. Vision is about becoming. And so if you don't have a vision for your life as an individual and in all those other kinds of things, then perhaps that's some of what God is stirring in us. It's like, hey, don't wander aimlessly. I'm going to put a pillar of fire in front of you. You've got you to gotta know what you're going toward. There has to be vision. Otherwise, we get so immersed in today, we're just trying to make it through. The second thing is obedience. I'm sorry, the second thing is sacrifice. Um, every vision will be costly. Every single vision will be costly. You never hear someone um, who is, uh, who is a, a, a leader or who has developed any sort of like business or idea or a creative type or anyone who's like, yeah, you know, I did this and it was really awesome and it didn't cost me anything ever. All vision requires sacrifice. Short-sighted people refuse to sacrifice because now is, is ultimate, you know. So why would I, why would I sacrifice now? What's the benefit? That's, that's being short-sighted. That's being self-centered. That's only being in the moment right now. But when you're looking forward, and there's vision that's there, and you're like, man, that's the vision? Cool, what is it going to cost me? Because it's worth it. It's worth it for your marriage to look that way, your family to look that way, your own life to look that way, your pursuit of holiness to look that way. It's worth it for our church to look the way we want it to look, and our groups, and all all the things that we're doing. It's worth it to see our city, our entire city, worshiping Jesus, right? It's worth it. And so if we have to go 10 years and not have our own building because that's what God's doing in us, then that's great. If we've got to change our name, then that's fine. And if we're going to, whatever it is that we're going to do, we're saying yes because we know, we know where we're going and it's worth it. Every single moment is worth it. And you're able to think outside of right now. Sacrifice doesn't get easier, but it does have a purpose to it. And when it has a purpose to it, it changes. It becomes something different. Sacrifice becomes worship when it's a part of that. And that ties to the third point, to obedience. Like sacrifice is worship when it's driven by obedience. Sacrifice is just religious ritual when it's not driven by obedience. And so our desire to know that God is going to get us to that vision, and we just got to listen to him. We got to pray, we got to listen, we got to ask, we got to seek, we got to knock, we got to do all this stuff together. And it requires being obedient. And if obedience means that you are sacrificial, then that's what you do. So I know it's, it's not lost on me for a second. We're a church that meets at night, and our small groups meet at night. So you're part of a church that asks for two out of your seven nights. I get that that is sacrificial for every single one of us. Other than the Ballards, no one really commutes. I mean, everyone that commutes here, right? That there's a distance that you drive. Some of you drive a really, really long way to be a part of what's going on. And I have to believe that that's because we see a value in the gathering because more is going on here than meets the eye. God's doing something bigger among us, and he says, don't forsake getting together. Don't you dare give up on this. And so if that's sacrificial, it's because obedience is going to be tied to sacrifice all the time. And when there's vision present, and all that fits together. And the fourth thing is faithfulness. And so we repeatedly do that. We're, we're digging in and we're having this pattern of consistency that's reflective of God's pattern of consistency. And when all those things fit together, you know what happens? We end up realizing that, man, he's doing something. 
He has begun something in us. He started something in you, and he's going to finish it. He started something in us, and he's going to finish it. And get, right now has everything to do with right now, and it has everything to do with what's ahead. Always, always, always. And so that's why I say it's a word of caution to not get so focused on now we ignore the future. But it's also a word of hope that whatever, wherever you are right now, it's not wasted. It is absolutely not wasted. It doesn't mean that tomorrow you're going to all of a sudden, there's, now it's all filled with information now. No, it may be years before you know, but isn't that what, why we're just trusting him? That those kids that, were, that went the roundabout way, that was a long time for them to walk around in that desert. But they believed, they had to have believed that there was something, God was taking them somewhere. And they fought their way through and they established themselves in the promised land. And you know what? We're here because of it. So I don't know where it fits in your life. People make fun of how I close every sermon with that. But I don't know. I really don't. But it fits. I know that it fits. And I hope that you get a sense that it fits as well. And so we're going to sing a little bit and kind of just respond to it. And then um, we're going to like be dismissed. But you know what? This gathering tonight fits into where you are. There's something bigger going on here as well. So how about you stand as the band comes back up. Lord God, I thank you for everyone that's here. Thank you for... um, For the fact that you can, um, you have this ability to connect with every one of us in this room who are are humble and receptive to what you want to say to us. And certainly a a night like this, the songs, the prayers, the scriptures, they, they hit us all in different places. But God, I take, I just find so much joy in the fact that you're just working all those things together. To meet us in this moment. That you can be fully present in this moment. And you're not distracted by the future. You're not distracted by the past. And you're not distracted by the present. You see it all fitting together. So God, for in the ways that we need to be warned you know, against this and cautioned, pray that we would receive that. In ways that we need to be um, given hope and purpose, I pray that we would receive that. That we would be stewards of this message and our individual relationships with you. And then working out from there into friends, into marriages, into families, and the workplace, and the city. That you would just have your way and that we would not leave this alone. And as we sing and just respond in song and pray these prayers together, that uh, some things would come alive in us or settle, settle into the right places with us, um, that you would have your way.